Hello, everyone, and welcome to the February 11th edition of WarComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles with Floyd, Skarin, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. The WCAB found that Stuart Espinoza, while an inmate of the Los Angeles County Men's Central Jail, was not an employee of the County of Los Angeles at the time that he was injured while working as a cook in the jail. He was therefore not eligible for workers' compensation benefits. Here's what happened in the unpublished case of Stuart Espinoza versus the WCAB and the Los Angeles County Jail. Espinoza and the county stipulated that Espinoza was working as a cook in the county jail when he sustained an injury to his left shoulder. The parties also stipulated that if Espinoza was found to be the county's employee, the injury arose in the course and scope of employment. Espinoza thought that his work was voluntary and was never told his work was mandated by the terms of his incarceration. He claims he received preferential treatment in exchange for the work. Thus, the only issue in the case is whether Espinoza was the county's employee. Whether he was the county's employee depends on whether he performed the work he was doing voluntarily or whether he was required to do the work as a condition of his incarceration. The Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors had issued an order back in 1970 referred to as Order Number 91, which provides that persons confined in the county jail may be compelled to perform labor under the direction of a county official. Order number 91 goes on to state that the prisoner shall not be covered by any of the provisions of the Workers' Compensation Act. Further, order number 91 was enacted by the Board of Supervisors in response to a very old decision called the Child's Decision, which occurred against the State Compensation Insurance Fund. The work comp judge reasoned that order number 91 only provides that a jail inmate may be compelled to work, not that the inmates shall be compelled to work. Therefore, the work comp judge then went on to conclude that there was no evidence that Espinoza was compelled to work. However, the WCAB disagreed, noting that it was the child's case that spawned order number 91, and the WCAB also pointed out that similar ordinances have been held to exclude county jail inmates from workers' compensation coverage. The WCAB's conclusion was that an inmate's work is not voluntary if it is performed subject to a county ordinance that requires an inmate to work while incarcerated. The Court of Appeal agreed and concluded that given that order number 91 precludes the establishment of an employment relationship, it is not necessary to address the question of whether or not Espinoza volunteered to work. And now our fraud report. A California medical doctor and the owner of the Oceanside Medical Supply in Long Beach have both pled guilty to participating in a conspiracy to defraud the Medicare Trust Fund by submitting more than $1 million in fraudulent power wheelchair claims. Dr. Irving Schwartz and Jose Melendez entered their guilty pleas in federal court in San Diego. And, pursuant to their plea agreements, the defendants are obligated to pay restitution to the Medicare Trust Fund for the losses caused by their scheme. The fraudulent conspiracy focused on the sale of bogus prescriptions for expensive power wheelchairs that patients did not need and in some cases did not want. 
Dr. Irving Schwartz admitted that he would travel to El Centro, California in search of elderly Medicare patients. Schwartz would write prescriptions for para wheelchairs even though the patients did not need the equipment and could walk without assistance. In exchange, Schwartz collected a $300 cash kickback for each power wheelchair prescription. A co-conspirator would then sell the power wheelchair prescriptions to Mr. Melendez, a medical supply company owner, charging him $1,000 per prescription. Melendez then sold some of the power wheelchair prescriptions to other co-conspirators, charging them an additional markup on each fraudulent prescription. As the last step in the scheme, the fraudulent prescriptions would be submitted to Medicare for reimbursement, billing the government thousands more per wheelchair than it had cost them to purchase and deliver the equipment. Often the unneeded equipment would sit unused in patients' homes for years. Schwartz admitted that he wrote at least 186 fraudulent power wheelchair prescriptions in exchange for more than $55,000 in bribes and kickbacks. Melendez, the owner and operator of Oceanside Medical Services, admitted that he purchased these 186 fraudulent prescriptions and used them to submit over $830,000 in false claims. In a related case, co-conspirators Aristio and Laura Traveres have pled guilty and admitted to submitting more than $250,000 in false claims based on Dr. Schwartz's fraudulent prescriptions. In total, the scheme resulted in more than a million dollars in false claims. The defendants are scheduled to be sentenced on May 6th. A new National Insurance Crime Bureau report says that DME fraud is as high as $5 billion per year. The report examines questionable claims, or QCs, referred to the National Insurance Crime Bureau between 2009 and 2012. QCs are claims that the NICB member insurance companies refer to the NICB for closer review and investigation based on one or more indicators of possible fraud. A single claim may contain up to seven referral reasons. DME QCs have increased consistently since 2009, with New York, Michigan, California, and Florida posting the most of all the states. DME is defined as equipment that can withstand repeated use, is primarily and customarily used to serve a medical purpose, generally is not useful to a person in the absence of an illness or injury, and is appropriate for use in the home. In addition, a licensed physician must prescribe the DME and prepare a certificate of medical necessity. The type of medical personnel allowed to order DME will vary from state to state. In some instances, physician assistants, Nurse practitioners and clinical nurse specialists may order DME. DME is projected to increase consistently at an average rate of 6%. Spending for DME could therefore exceed $50 billion by the end of 2015. For both public and private health care programs, the FBI in 2011 estimated fraudulent billing to be between 3% and 10% of total health care expenditures. If those percentages are applied to DME spending, estimates of DME fraud could fall between $1.5 billion and $5 billion in a single year. The consistent growth of the DME industry combined with a general lack of credentials or training in order to distribute DME 
provides ample opportunity for unscrupulous individuals. The owner and general manager of a Palm Desert swimming pool construction and maintenance company faces criminal charges for alleged misconduct while running the company. 31-year-old Michael Gregory Silverberg, a Hemet resident and owner of United States Pools Corporation, is accused of defrauding the state compensation insurance fund, two insurance companies, and the State Board of Equalization. Silverberg allegedly reported his pool cleaning employees as independent contractors to avoid paying the appropriate payroll taxes and workers' compensation insurance premiums. He also allegedly failed to report his new pool construction employees on his workers' compensation policy. In addition, the investigation revealed that Silverberg allegedly failed to properly report the required sales tax due to the State Board of Equalization on an account with a local pool contract supplier. The alleged fraudulent actions resulted in a loss of about $570,000 to the various agencies. Silverberg faces two counts of falsifying statements to reduce workers' compensation rates, one count of falsifying workers' compensation, and one count of failing to collect taxes, all felonies, and a misdemeanor charge of signing a report to evade an amount due. He also faces a sentence-enhancing allegation of taking more than $500,000 through the commission of two or more white-collar crimes. He's due back in court on February 26th, and if convicted, he faces up to 16 years in prison. And in regulatory news, the Division of Workers' Compensation has issued notices of public hearings for the Supplemental Job Displacement Benefit Regulations and Interpreter Services Regulations. The proposed rulemakings are to permanently adopt the emergency regulations which became effective on January 1. A public hearing on the proposed regulations has been scheduled for March 19 at 10 o'clock a.m. in the auditorium of the Elihu Harris Building. 1515 Clay Street in Oakland. Members of the public may also submit written comments on the regulations until 5 p.m. on that day. The SJDB regulations implement SB 863's changes regarding the amount of the SJDB voucher and the expenses for which it may be used. The proposed regulations administrate the Supplemental Job Displacement Benefit by providing procedures and forms for those injured on or after January 1, 2013. The Interpreter Services Regulations define qualified interpreter for purposes of medical treatment appointments. It adds medical treatment appointments as an event for which an interpreter is entitled to a fee and sets forth the websites where interpreters who are qualified to interpret at workers' compensation appeals board hearings and medical treatment appointments can be found. The DWC will consider all public comments and may modify the proposed regulations for consideration during an additional 15-day public comment period. The notices of rulemaking, text of the regulations, and the initial statement of reasons can be found at the DWC website. A new CWCI report says that compound drug costs are still out of control despite recent legislation. Recent public health concerns and legislative actions have raised the profile of compound drug utilization in the California workers' compensation system. In 2002, California lawmakers passed Assembly Bill 749, the first of several workers' compensation reforms that included provisions to modify the delivery of pharmacy benefits and contain the rapidly escalating costs of prescription drugs used to treat injured workers. 
In January 2004, the California Division of Workers' Compensation adopted a pharmacy fee schedule that capped maximum reimbursements for pharmacy services and drugs at 100% of Medi-Cal rates, which at the time were at least 10% below the average wholesale price for prescription drugs, plus a dispensing fee. However, these legislative and regulatory adjustments, which focused on unit price controls, were only partially successful in containing the growth in workers' compensation prescription drug costs. Following the full implementation of the 2002-2004 reforms, the average amount paid for pharmaceuticals on a California workers' compensation indemnity claim within the first two years of injury more than doubled from $599 to $1,234 between accident year 2005 and 2009. After the repackaged drug regulations took effect, some manufacturers began promoting compound drugs, medical foods, and convenience packs that included prescription medications and medical foods to California workers' compensation medical providers. Most of the compounded drugs in the California workers' compensation system are pain management medications delivered through topical creams. Assembly Bill 378, signed into law in 2011 and implemented on January 1, 2012, was designed to curb the increased use of and the rapidly growing costs associated with compounded pharmaceutical products. The new law tried to reduce the amounts paid for compounded drugs through the adoption of additional unit price controls and billing conventions. The new CWCI study examined changes in compound drug utilization and payments before and after the implementation of this new law, AB 378. They found that compounded drugs fell from 3.1% to 2.2% of the prescriptions dispensed to injured workers in the first six months of 2012. This was a relative decline of 35%. Yet, at the same time, Compounded drug reimbursements increased from 11.6% to 12.6% of prescription payments, a relative increase of 9%. The average number of NDC ingredients used within compounded drugs dispensed to California injured workers increased from 3.4 to 3.8, a 13.1% increase. While the average paid per NDC ingredient increased 48.7% from $135 to $200. There's little evidence from clinical trials to support the use of many of the compounded drugs dispensed to injured workers. The lack of rigorous independent evaluation and the lack of federal and state oversight limit the California workers' compensation payer's ability to control compound drug utilization and costs. Kalosha is reminding all employers to post the annual summary of all work-related injuries and illnesses. The form must be posted at their place of business from February 1st through April 30th. The form 300A is available for free download on the DIR's website. The form is a required workplace posting so that employees may have the opportunity to review any injury or illness that took place at their worksite the prior year. Former employees and their representatives also have a right to review the form. The form must be posted in a visible and easily accessible area. 
Employers are required to fill out and post the Form 300A every year, even if no workplace injuries occurred at all. Information that must be disclosed on the form includes total number of cases with days away from work, total number of days injured or sick employees uh, spent away from work, and the different types of injury or illnesses suffered. Employers who would like more information on their posting requirements or who would like more information on how to reduce workplace injuries and illnesses are encouraged to visit the DIR Employer Information page. In addition, if an employer would like to speak with a Cal OSHA consultant, free assessments are available to California businesses by calling the Cal OSHA Consultation Program 1-800-963-9424. And in financial news, insurance brokers across the country reported price increases in the commercial lines markets in the fourth quarter of 2012. Pricing rose on average at the rate of 5%, compared with 3.9% in the third quarter of 2012. Brokers claimed that the workers' compensation market clearly was in distress last quarter. In one Northeast broker's words, workers' compensation was crashing. The broker said prices escalated 30% to 50%, mostly on large accounts. In the Midwest, a broker said some carriers weren't particularly interested in writing workers' compensation accounts at all. Others said monoline coverage was harder to find. Carriers were still cautious about the risks they were putting on their books and pushed for price increases where they felt they could get them. And in other news, the Commission on Health and Safety and Workers' Compensation, or CHISWEEK, the two, their 2012 annual report looked at integrating comp and group health care coverage. Their new report says that group health costs have been rising much more quickly than inflation and wages. Costs have been rising even more quickly for treatment of occupational injuries in the California workers' compensation system. This creates a major financial challenge for employers, especially in those industries with already high workers' compensation costs. Furthermore, group health care and workers' compensation medical care are typically delivered through separate provider systems, resulting in unnecessary, duplicative, and contraindicated treatment and inefficient administration. Cheswick claims that integration of group health and workers' compensation medical care is an alternative to two separate systems of medical care. Under integrated health care, the same individual physician or health provider group administrators treatment for both occupational and non-occupational medical conditions and integrates payments for treatment under a single insurance policy. Integrating workers' compensation medical treatment with group health treatment offers employers the potential for significant savings, and it could help improve the quality of care workers' overall access to the insurance health system. Cheswick has partnered with the California Healthcare Foundation and the University of California, Berkeley, to examine the feasibility of integrated care in California. The pilot is part of a carve-out agreement and uses Kaiser Permanente for delivery of both workers' compensation medical care and group health benefits. The goal of the pilot is to identify areas of administrative savings and ways to reduce litigation. Savings for California alone would be about $10 billion in the first year and $100 billion for the 10 years in 2011 to 2020 inclusive. 
The California Division of Workers' Compensation announced the recipients of the 2013 Carrie Nevins Community Service Award. This year's award in Northern California goes to Angie Way, the Legislative Director of the California Federation of Labor, AFL-CIO. Sean McNally, President of KBA Engineering in Bakersfield, is the Southern California recipient. Both are commissioners with the Commission on Health and Safety and Workers' Compensation. The awards will be presented at the upcoming 20th Annual DWC Educational Conference Luncheons. Ms. Way has been with the California Labor Federation since 2000. She previously worked as an advocate for the California Immigrant Welfare Coalition and served as a public policy director for the Northern California Coalition for Immigrant Rights. She received her undergraduate degree from UC Berkeley and a master's degree in public policy from the Kennedy School of Government at Harvard University. Mr. McNally is the president of KBA Engineering in Bakersfield. He is a licensed general contractor and serves as a trustee for the Self-Insurer Security Fund and is very active in the community and leadership activities. Sean has been certified by the State Bar of California as a specialist in workers' compensation and was a partner in Hannah, Brophy, McLean, McAllier, and Jensen. He received his BA degree from the University of San Francisco and JD from the University of the Pacific McGeorge School of Law. The DWC's 20th Annual Educational Conference is the largest workers' compensation training in the state and allows claims administrators, attorneys, medical providers, return-to-work specialists, employers, and others to learn about the most recent developments in the system as well as ongoing DWC programs. This year's conference has many sessions devoted to SB 863 and its successful implementation. The Los Angeles conference has been sold out for several weeks. However, registration is still open for the Oakland training, which takes place between March 4th to 5th at the Oakland Marriott City Center Hotel. And with that, that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates and for past editions of our news and much, much more. And please remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, your iPad, or your iPod by searching for the WorkComp Academy in the iTunes Store. Again, I'm Renee Foles with Floyd, Skarin, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today, and please drop by again next week for more news.